Hello everyone and welcome to the Songs Garage podcast. Today we have two parts for you, both with Justin Lin. He's the director of Fast and Furious Tokyo Drift, Fast 5, Fast 6 and now Fast 9. In part one, we discuss his early years, his struggles and his first film with Sung Kang called Better Luck Tomorrow and how it ties into Tokyo Drift. In part two, we talk about Fast 9, Sung's involvement as Han, and what's coming beyond what's currently known as the Fast franchise. If you're into film, Fast and Furious, or just great conversations, you'll definitely want to listen to these. Enjoy. Where did the love for an obsession for filmmaking come from, Justin? Where did that come from? You know, the... You know, I didn't grow up wanting to to, to make movies. I, I think part of it is that I didn't think it, it was even possible, you know. And uh, and I I think I, I was very fortunate in that you know my it being an immigrant, and I think my parents see I was just old enough. I was eight years old, you know, and I saw that we had a pretty good life as a kid, you know. Um, and my parents sacrificed all that to move us to a place where for sure for them, their lives wasn't as good, you know? And we went from, I would say, it felt like a middle upper class life in Taiwan. And then all of a sudden we move to Anaheim, Buena Park, and they have this fish and chips restaurant. And then they're getting, you know, they're working 364 days a year, barely getting by. And, you know, and, and my brothers and I, we kind of went and worked side by side with them and just seeing the crap that they had to deal with, the, not even just racism, but classism, you know, and just shit like that. And, um, you know, I, I, I very young, I, I kind of learned to appreciate what they were sacrificing. You know, I think the, the, when I think back now, it's, it, it, you know, I think coming up in, in, a, in an Asian American family, there, were not, there was not a lot of talking, you know? And that's the one thing I'm yeah. learning with my son is that, man, we got to talk more, you know? Like, um, but I think they, 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 they really kind of demonstrate through action, you know? And, and I, I, I think when, you, when I look back now, I'm so appreciative because their actions show me sacrifice and love and support. And, and the fact that, you know, it's, th those are such like powerful uh, feelings for for an eight-year-old you know especially when you know you, you're going to school and to know that like very quickly you have nothing you know the fact that when we shopped at Goodwill as soon as you go to school you're gonna get made fun of you know like things like that mm -hmm. and and I know it's a long about way to kind of answer try to answer but it it, it allowed me to it, that kind of support allowed me to kind of just go and and try the craziest shit you know and, and and i love that they they never said hey you have to be a doctor or a lawyer or this or that they're just like go find what you love you know and and i remember you know i was in third grade and it was tough you're trying to learn english but you're like you know back then me and my brother at the time we were the only asian students and so you're like an alien to the rest of the school you know and um and it was a it was a it, I wouldn't say it was rough, but the adjustment period was, was, was tough. But this idea of being an American and like, wow, I can try anything, you know? And, and I remember that summer, you know, because they had to keep working. They didn't want us to just hang out at the, at the restaurant. They took us to the Buena Park Boys Club, you know? And there it was even scarier because, you know, it was like, it was kids of all ages um, I remember I saw like this kid show up with a gun and you're like, holy shit, he has a gun, you know, and, but there was still like, there's great people there, you know, and, and um, it was this, uh, uh, one of the staffers, Bob, coach Bob, he, he, uh, he put, he, I think he saw my brother and I, and we were just kind of lost. So he put us on the bench of the basketball team. And I know how to play and he never got in the game. Right. Like we just watched and I was like so fascinated with with basketball, but never got to play except for the last game. It was a blowout. And, um, you know, he put me in, he put me and my brother in. And I still remember so vividly like the ball 
inbounded to me. Oh no, it was it was inbounded to the other team, and the guy dribbled off his foot, and the ball just rolled to me, and I picked it up, and I I look over, and the bench everyone's screaming like shoot, and I threw it up, and it went in, and there's something about that shot it just triggered this like sense of empowerment, and so when I went back to school that that fall, it was like you know I'm back in Orange County back then it was like recess everyone plays soccer, it was just soccer 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 right. And I remember going back in fourth grade and I was like, forget it, man. Like, I want to be a basketball player. So I just grabbed the basketball out of that box and I just went and shot by myself. And it was so empowering. And it changed, like, the way I saw life and the possibilities. And I just shot around by myself. And I didn't care if nobody liked me or anything. I didn't have to follow people. And it, 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 it allowed me to kind of build this up. So the, the next summer when I went back, I didn't know how good. And I, I got to play and I was better. And I'm like, holy crap, like, this is amazing. I could put in the work and I get better. And that that sense of empowerment, I, I still like talking about it. You know, it, it really formed. I found myself, you know, and and of course, I think throughout my childhood, it, it became this thing of like, I can do anything. It, it, we might be poor, but like, I can do anything, you know? And so I, I got to be pretty good at basketball, um, but it was also school. I actually really loved school because it was like, it's free. And I didn't have to, you know, I can, I can take any subject. I could, I could play jazz band, you know, I could learn the drums, anything I want to do, I can. And so it really started off, I would say I was inspired by my parents but also the journey as an immigrant kid just like learning that this is amazing this is what's the best thing about being an american is that we can do whatever the fuck we want right and 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 the fact that you can see results and 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 i think sports and also basketball it taught me you know again i i'm influenced by you know obviously also growing up 1980s with magic johnson and lakers and, and and it's funny now i i I realized I, as a little kid, my way through the Lakers was through Chick Hearn, the announcer, right? Mm-hmm. And so he painted this narrative that was like mythology building, right? About Magic Johnson. It was never like um, anything negative because Chick Hearn is the, is there, and, and, and I just, I grew up in this fairy tale, the Lakers, Magic, Kareem, Worthy and everybody. And, and it really like, I bought in and I loved it. And I love playing basketball, not, not to always score, but to like win, to like help my teammates. Mm -hmm. And it was something that I just, it was just so great to be able to connect with people, you know? And, and the fact that like, I think you, even as an Asian immigrant, you know, like you can, people can make fun of you and they can bully you and everything. But man, one of the great, greatest thing about growing up is when you're really good at sports they don't bully you anymore, you know, and they, they look at you differently. Um, It it is crazy, you know, and I think that stuck with me. Right. And it went, it went all the way through um, high school. And, and even then I wasn't, we didn't really watch movies because it was just, um, you know, it was, I had no no money. So I'd go and chew hoops. You just play and you, you know, do your homework. Um, I remember Orange County was like super hot. So then I would like ride my bike to the library because at AC, so I would just read. So it like ended up being this like really great combination of things. Um, but it, it was around high school that, you know, I started really kind of liking film as just a viewer, right? Like going to the cheap Cypress Twin Cinema, I was like for a buck 50, you get to watch two movies and you're always trying to sneak into the rated R movies, you know? <laughs> like, <laughs> uh, and but it was like, um, it was, you know, I think it was Rocky three when I was like in fifth grade that like, that was another, that was the film that like really for, for uh, what a 10 year old, it really affected me. And I realized, you know, it kind of turbocharged this idea of the underdog of like, okay, I can do anything if I put my mind to it, you know? Um, And I think throughout my, my teenage years, I just kind of like movie, but I still didn't really think about um the, the fact that I could make movies and it was Tucker by Coppola and then do the right thing 
that it really made me conscious that somebody was behind the camera telling me stories, you know, and, mm-hmm. and, and I don't know why I just thought I want to try that. And I think it was, I go all the way back to my parents in that they never impose anything on me except like, you just got to work twice as hard because you're an immigrant and you go be better. Hopefully you find something you love. And that's all they said to me, you know? Um, and I'm sure there was like the, uh, there was the understanding that like you definitely have to like get good grades and you can do whatever the fuck you want. Best deal in the world. Right. (laughs) (laughs) So anyway, it it got me to, and then I tried and somehow I, I don't know how I got into UCLA film school and I didn't realize how hard it was. I mean, I I knew the numbers, but I, I I was banking all on UCLA because back in the nineties, it was only like, UCLA, USC, and NYU, there wasn't like this industry of film schools, you know, and somehow I got in and I, I felt like I was overwhelmed, but I loved, I love kind of going to university. And back then it was like Laserdisc, you could go watch Altman movies and Kubrick movies and everything. Um, And it, 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 the love of kind of the, the, the the formal elements and, and just learning was great, but it was still felt like it was with it. It wasn't within reach because film is not an equal art, right? Like it, it costs a lot of money. Even for I remember my first movie was ten minutes and it was four grand, and I was working three jobs just trying to pay for it, you know. But that trying to earn four thousand dollars while you're going to college to pay for a film, it like again that's the other like pivotal moment in my life. It it, it really kind of like somehow some everything kind of just came together and it, I realized this is this is it this is like playing basketball because you have to have like hopefully a point of view and you're passionate about something so much that you are able to communicate to other people and we can all connect um, and it was the collision of my love for just the the playing sports and I think uh, the challenge of, of trying to do something um, trying to tell a story. And I think it was the, it was a combination of all that, that it really, after that first film, I felt like, okay, I'm gonna, this is what I want to do in my, in my life. And it was very organic. It, it was never like pre-planned because there was nobody ahead of me where I'm like, oh, I want to like be like him, you know? It was like this weird thing of like, I want to be Magic Johnson and I want to be this. And then somehow it, 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 my journey allowed me to, to try that. And I, and I also kind of, felt very fortunate as a UCLA when there was a lot of Eastern European directors, you know, and for some reason, I think the way they communicate and their passion, it it didn't feel like uh, academia. It felt like it was filmmakers who were trying to communicate and share with you. And I look back now and I feel so lucky, you know, and, and it just, you know, it was a great school in, in trying to help you find your voice, but it was not a great school for, Help, helping you understand the business of filmmaking because like, you know, now that I talk to people from USC, it's like, oh man, they network and they help each other out. UCLA was just like a bunch of people, you know, hang, you know trying to make their own movies, you know, but it it was right for me at the time, you know, and it, 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 it led me to, to a point where I just, I, I think I'm a pretty pragmatic person and I, I realized, you know what, I get, I, I probably get one shot at this, right? Like, mm-hmm. because nobody was going to give me a chance. So I think if I feel like when I'm ready, I can maybe just take out some credit cards because back then you're like, oh, credit card movies, you know? And and um, it sounds so cool, except until you start seeing the uh, the bill. When you start seeing the 19.8% <laughs> interest, it's mm-hmm. fucking crazy. I didn't even realize, wait, they accrue daily? like you're paying money interest on interest um, but it was it was that that led to fair luck tomorrow um i was still in grad school and uh it it, it, it felt right and it, it felt like you know it, it, it was the the way it was going to come together it was going to take everything that i've learned up to that point in my life right from sports and and, and trying to really f- find something that was I was passionate about and hopefully trying to tell a story uh, that I was passionate about, but also work with people of like mine, you know, I think Ernesto and, and, and Fabian, 
you know, we wrote that script together and, you know, it, it meant a lot, but I'll, I'll be honest. And, and Song, you're, you're obviously a huge part of that. You know, I never thought that that film would, I didn't, I didn't even think we were going to get into Sundance because I think um, when, when you look at the past programs, there I don't think there was any other Asian American films and, and most of the films in competition always had like a star in it. And so I, I'm not like, I, I'm a dreamer, but I'm not, I'm a pragmat, pragmatic right. dreamer, I would say. And so right. I don't know, it, it led to that, that journey, which I still look back now it that set the tone for the rest of my life, rest of my career, you know? Um, and sorry, I've been talking for so long, but it, it is, that's the that's the journey um, to to realize you know what I can I can maybe you know make a living doing this you know um, but it all started with I would say my parents. Mm. You know it's interesting, Justin, because you know the way you treat you know underdog like cast members, if you will. You know, I always felt like the underdog. I always felt like the dude that's, you know, shooting hoops by himself in the park, you know, um, trying to find his voice. The way those, or, you know, my kind of personality, you know, feels a little lost on set and the kind of troops and cast that you assemble are very similar because you see the talent behind like the insecurity. You know, you see yourself, like you go, okay, I see why they're kind of this way. And, you know, because, because you've been there, right? And so it's, it, after a while, it feels very comfortable. Like, I don't have to explain myself to you why I behave a certain way. Because, dude, you know, I've been in the park by myself most of my life just shooting, dreaming, you know what I mean? And then you get yeah. another dude that's like, you dream too? You dream alone. Let's, and then it's two people, three people. And then that's what Better Luck Tomorrow was, was this, like, you know, assembly of like you know like you know misfits together but then it was led like the, by this pat riley type of momentum you know and it's interesting when you talk about the 80s you know um um you know uh, uh uh johnson and worthy that era basketball was like like a movie man you know it had the three-act structure it was like sensational and it was like villains you know Bird and Johnson. So now I kind of go, oh, I see his story making. It's very like that. You know, it's very like Greek. <laughs> it's like two normal people coming together, but then at the end, they unite their brothers, right? And I'm like, oh, there's a theme here. It's interesting, huh? Huh? Yeah, no, no, cool. I think that I, I'm glad there was no internet in the 80s, right? Because <laughs> now you go on and it's like everybody's got an opinion. But it was really, it was really cool to not have all that noise and and just you know I remember just sitting listening because we didn't have cable so home games you're listening to Chick Hearn on the radio right and he's painting this picture and you know I was the crazy kid that you know I would call him like pregame show postgame show just to talk to Chick Hearn and mm-hmm. everything um, but that really did you know that the way he told that story of the Lakers. You know, I still remember he talked yeah. about Elgin Baylor and Jerry West. And I, I just loved it. I, I, I it, it, it was perfect for, for a kid growing up, you know, and, and you know, it, it, it's amazing. You know, I, I remember doing press for Star Trek, too. And like, I didn't even watch Star Wars, you know, like that going to the movies was like such a big deal that like I didn't I, every kid was Star Wars this and Millennium Falcon that. And but I. The thing that was great about Star Trek was that it was free. It was on TV at 11 p.m. And I watch it with my dad, like, you know, from 8 to 18, you know. And and, uh, and I, I think those things all affected me. And mm-hmm. and you're right. So I think it's funny that we're sitting here talking 2021 and, and people be like, wait, you're the only Asian kid in, <laughs> in Orange County school. Things changed a lot, you know. Uh, yeah. I think even when we're starting off 2001, when we we're making Bear like Tomorrow, it was such a different time access you know there was no digital cameras and it was just starting to come back then but like um it opportunities just was not available you know and 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 you know seeing it now where i'll sitting in audition i see asian american actors or actresses coming in and i love that the sense of empowerment you know they a lot of them come in and they're, they're like i expect to be the lead 
and and a lot of times you know starting off i don't think we even had the, the confidence because we're dude, being told justin dude our last conversation a few years ago was when we the last fast we did together was set six seven six six six, six. six. yeah right yeah I remember you were telling me the identical story, but in a different perspective, because you were like, man, I know where I'm trying to see as many Asian American characters, you know, or Asian characters, but they have this timidness. It's like, they feel like this is their only shot. There's like no sense of empowerment. And the fact that you're saying this now, 2021, dude, dude, I, that's crazy, man. Because I, I was not aware of it. I was like, if, if it's that, that means that, we made a big jump from where we were when we did Fast Six, huh? Huge. Yeah, I mean, I would say even from Tokyo Drift, you know, I, I think, I, I look, a lot of times I feel like access is so important. Perspective is important, right? Like, um, you know, you can sit in a classroom and you can talk about stuff and they're just theories. You don't know until you actually go, you know? Um, I, I mean, I, I know I've used this story before, but like I remember sitting in, in film school and there's like, everybody's like a film snob you know and it's, it's usually like this conversation and, and people are like yeah you know i wouldn't do mighty duck six and you're like fuck you man like did someone offer you mighty duck six like why are you being yeah. such a like condescending prick <laughs> like you know it's not ever easy to tell a story than go make a movie you know and so um I, i've always felt like you know the journey that i took hopefully you know the perspective i have i don't ever lose and one of the things i think being asian american is that you realize just when you think you make it you get in that room and you get to look around and then you're going to see a door and if you're lucky enough you earn to go through that door and you can look around and then there's another door right mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. and and one of the big things was that i took your drift it was huge in that um when when I signed on, I said, hey, I just want to see colorblind casting. And this is like, you know, th this was not the conversation they had back in 2005. They're just like, okay, if you're doing a movie, why would you even audition, you know, people who are not white? Because in their mind, it's not, I don't think it's even like racism or anything. It's just like, that's the way things are done. Right. And I, I, I've always felt like, well, why don't we, I think when I first approached it, it was more like, well, why, I just want to see, I just want to create an opportunity and see if people can really kind of come in and blow us away. And, and to the studio's credit, they were like, oh, sure. You know, like when, once I said, that's what I want, they're like, okay, fine. If you want to do the extra work, go for it. But what I learned from that was that, you know, especially with a lot of Asian American actors, um, you know, I, I remember when they first came in, you see the white actors that come in and it's like four scenes off book. They're going for it. They're like, I'm going to be the lead. And a lot of the Asian Americans coming in, they're still looking at their script. And I remember mm -hmm. I would stop them and I said, hey, man, like you should be off book. This is for mm -hmm. a lead for a big movie. And and and, you know, I, I realized very early on that they were just used to going in for one-liners, you know? And so I realized that experience is to be able to kind of share, hopefully with the community or with the actors to say, if you come in with that kind of mindset, you're never going to get it. And even if you, even back then, even if you don't get the role, but you're amazing, people tend to remember you and that's how we can make change, you know? And, but, but, but it is great now to see that like, you know, you go and I go in auditions and just people coming in and just having this sense of empowerment that I, I feel like in our generation, it was something that we struggle with and we're trying to break through. So um, that, that has been one of the kind of positives, I think, you know, yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, the, 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 the next level is that, you know, I was joking with, I forgot who's joking with, is that, you know, it's almost like, the next level is to see an Asian American asshole, and you're like, "Yeah, we earned it. We we earned it." <laughs> I mean, I hate it, but you're like, "God, yeah, man, if, you know, if other people can be assholes, you know, people in our community, I guess, could be an asshole yeah. too, you know." So, yeah, yeah, yeah. true, true. <laughs> yeah. What was yeah, Sung like when you first started working with him? 
Oh man, I I, I look back now. It was, it was. Uh, I, first, I gotta go with the uh, the audition, right? Like, Sung came in late. I mean, I had already. <laughs> It was it was crazy because we we went through this it, it was it was weird because when you're doing a credit card movie it's not like there's a deadline yeah right and but for some reason I think it's maybe because I had quit my job and I think Fabian had quit his job and people had started quitting their jobs that were like we gotta go make this movie because we're gonna run out of money very quickly right and so we went through this audition process and. It was a, it, it, I have to say it was, um, it was always a test. Everything's always a test, right? Because, you know, first things first, you start seeing like this weird ego thing, right? Because we're a credit card movie and we were making an Asian American film. You would think that everybody would be like, oh, great, let's go, let's go tackle this. But very quickly, man, there's like all the egos, you know, I, I won't name names, but there'll be like Asian American actors going, no, offer only. And you're like, well, I need to know if we, you know, it's like, but it, 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 it you know, for me, it was clear if, if they're going to have an attitude, fuck them. Like, you know, mm -hmm. like we get one shot at this, we're going to try to build this with the right people. And, you know, I, it was, it felt like now looking back, like it was meant to be, I remember Perry came in and, and he came in a, quite a few times and he was great, but you know, um, I wanted to make sure, but he, the fact that he kept coming in, I got to give him credit, you know, and he just kept playing. Um, John Cho, who I knew from Shopping for Fangs, he signed on quickly, which was awesome. And so we started getting their cast together. And then um, Han could not find Han, could not find Han. And, um, but again, we, it's not like a, a you know, it's a credit card movie. So like, I think even in the, you know, when we put out the notice, it was technically a student film, you yeah. know? And so uh, we're looking at actors who are just starting off. And, um, you know, I, I had, there was this one actor, um, he very green, like, I don't think he's ever acted before. Um, and I remember I was sitting with Fabian and, and Ernie and uh, I was like, man, I just have not found our Han. And I found our Han. And uh, it was towards the end. I remember because uh, I think we actually finished casting. And then we got, we got word that, that, that you were interested in. I remember we, um, it was at UCLA. It was at UCLA. They had these sound stages. And, yeah. uh, and like, we literally rushed back to make it look like we were still auditioning. <laughs> And then Sung showed up and, and he blew us away, you know? And, but it was like, it was over. I don't even know how you came in, Sung. Like it, 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 it was amazing. And, and I think you Chris came Chan in. Lee. And Chris Chan Lee called me and told wow. me that you, yeah. He was like, hey, you gotta go meet Justin. And I was like, who's Justin? He goes, you know, you guys did some project together, like some yeah. short thing. And he goes, yeah, man, you got to go and work with him. And he goes, I read the script and, you know, this is going to be his thing. And I was like, dude, I worked with you. I worked with Chris on this movie in Staten Island with some other Asian American director and they never finished it. The dude like disappeared with the money. And I was like, dude, I don't know if I can do that again. And I was like, what if Justin turns out to be another dude that disappears like in the middle of the shoot? I go, I don't know about these Asian people. And he goes, and Chris was like, no, man, like Justin is the real deal. And you gotta go, you guys are gonna get along for some, because wow. Chris is not, a, yeah, Chris is not a sports guy. And, and I said, somehow he knew like you and I would get along, you know? So, wow. Yeah. Man, this is like, I've known Chris for years and yeah. it, it is amazing the the, you know, just the connections, you know, like I remember Roger had like, taken a leave and he went to Australia and he had, he had just come back. And so like the fact that we all met in, 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 in ways and when we could have easily passed each other, yeah. um, it, 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 looking back now, it's so fragile, man. Like what we do, like just by chance, sometimes just the timing. Um, yeah. and I, 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 I don't think I ever knew it was Chris that sent you. And I just remember getting a call and, and, uh, or something and and i just remember us now now it's so many years later 
us just running in and I was like signing up, trying to get a soundstage just to make it look like we were a professional production, you know? <laughs> and I've always thought it was good to audition in a soundstage. So we look like a professional film <laughs> and, and it was, it was, it was only for some. And I think like Ernie's <laughs> running out and Fabian is putting on signing sheet, you know, just to make it look like you weren't the only one coming in. <laughs> uh, well, you guys did a great job because I was like blown away. I was like, wow, we're auditioning in a soundstage. <laughs> you must be legit. <laughs> the, la the last audition was like at the director's desk in front of his computer because he didn't have any ink for the paper so he went to like read off the computer that's where i was coming from justin so the fact that we had even like a, a piece of paper where i could read you know there was a script dude there was like a script it was at ucla come on yeah, oh it was man great. yeah i mean yeah, oh. chris i think chris called me twice you know he was like always going yeah you know justin's you know he's like you got to work with him you know he's like he, he just kept pushing and pushing wow i i'm like now so grateful i mean i i came up with chris but i yeah he was we were always friendly you know and 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 uh but to to know to know i mean i'm i'm forever grateful you know like i, I think sometimes it, it is crazy Me sometimes too. you know you, you you go back and and a community is not like a given you know, and I think that was one of the things I, I learned early on, but also through Better Like Tomorrow is that there's so much pressure when it's like, you know, when like Asian American community, like you're Asian American, so you have to be part of the community. And it's like, that's not, it, it never worked for me or even I think us, right? Because, you know, it, the politics of it gets a little tricky, but it's through shared experience, you know, and, and, you know, I, I went through, it was 97, you know, he had this film Yellow and, and I did Shopping for Fangs with Quentin and, you know, we, we all kind of traveled together and we got to know each other a little bit. Um, and it was the first time I felt like, okay, cool. Like, I, I now kind of understand what a community is in that, like, you know, we all had our quirks, but we all were on the shared journey, you know? And and so to, mm -hmm. to know that, that that resulted in us working together, it like, it gives me so much more hope you know, um, and yeah. it's just a lot of times I think people just talk about it. Talk is so cheap, you know, it's, it's, you don't know until you go to go in the, you know, work, you're in the trenches with people working together, you know, and like, um, and somehow, I mean, Barrel like Tomorrow was like, what, 30, I think it was like a 30 something, 36 day shoot, you know, um, and to get, to get through that was wow. crazy, you know, I, I remember it, it never rains in LA, right? <laughs> that first three days, it was raining like crazy. <laughs> you know, I haven't seen Bear Like Tomorrow for a long time until they had the uh, Sundance cut at Egyptian. And uh, mm. the, the Han intro scene, right? Where you're leaning yeah, against, the, uh, yeah. against the red Mustang. Holy crap. That was one of the, that was like one of our first days of shoot. But if you watch that shot, it is amazing because the sun actually was coming in. But behind Han was the dark clouds. It was raining right before. Mm. And we were fighting the weather. When we, That's one of the perks of shooting in L.A. is that you never have to fight the weather. And, <laughs> but it looked beautiful. So it like sometimes it just it's, it's, it's it, to me, it's such a um, it's, it's kind of a symbol of our journey. You know, you struggle and you struggle. And sometimes you just get the most amazing shot with the best lighting because you're struggling and you just don't give up and you get that shot. And it's like, it's amazing sitting here talking to you now because that shot is the first time we see Han, you know, that's the intro of Han to the world. So, um, oh man. You know, you know what, you know why that shot like always like hits me, Justin, is because we, when we, we shot that in the parking lot of that church, like we were outside. Like, it was remember? a, it was a supermarket. It was, a, it was yeah. like a block away from where I grew up. And yeah. it became a Korean church. That's how church. much the neighborhood changed. It went from us yeah. being the only Asian American to a huge church. Yeah. Um, and they let us shoot in that parking lot. And yeah. sorry, sorry, Sam. And then after that, after that day, the investors pulled out. And then you and I played basketball and you were telling me, hey, Sam, I'll give you, there's a cool shot. I'm going to give it to you on, on tape because 
the investors pulled out. I don't know if we're going to make be able to make this movie. It was that day. It was the, I remember everything was like going to fall apart after that day, after that church thing. Like we went mm-hmm. and you were freaking yeah, out. That. Yeah, dude. I remember when we finished that, it was like the next, it was just done. And then you and I went to play basketball in West Hollywood. And then you were, you looked over at me and you were like, Hey man, you know, um, I'm going to give you guys, you know, whatever I shot, because I know you guys need reels and, you know, you guys are starting out, but I don't know if we're going to be done in case we can't ever finish this movie right now. The investors, you know, want to change the roles to all Caucasian girls. Remember that? It was like this kind of thing. I remember, I remember, dude, it was like this whole, it was like crazy, dude. That was, it was so dramatic to me. Cause I, was, I looked, well, I'll, I'll I go, tell you oh. <laughs> one of ahead, the things about, that to survive in filmmaking is that like I have this crazy ability that I remember only the good things and I forget all the <laughs> fucking crazy shit that we go. I, I remember it in a romanticized way because yeah. are you sure that's the time frame? Because, you know, I, I remember um, I had 10 credit cards and I saved up like with all my uh, scholarships and everything at film school. I had a, a small amount of cash. Yeah. Um, because you can't make a film just with credit cards, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't remember it that way because that was one of our first days of, of shoot. But we did like, it, it, you know, we we had to cobble up um, some money outside because even the credit card wasn't enough. So I had to like, I took this class and I learned how to like create an LLC and a PPM. And like, I don't know any of that stuff, but I'm, I'm trying to create a legitimate like, you know, um, company to produce the movie and stuff. And it, we definitely did run into a lot of issues throughout, like um, where when the cash flow got really low, <laughs> um, mm. I'm sitting there going, holy crap. You know, I remember um, there's another rainy day at UCLA when we were shooting and Perry, they were going to fly Perry out to audition for a Woody Allen movie. And we all knew that if he got that role, the movie was going to die because yeah, our lead, was, we were going to lose our lead, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. And it was it was really odd because... You know, we were shooting and obviously like back, you know, especially even thinking back now, you're like, holy crap, Woody Allen, he's going to get a face to face with Woody Allen, someone of that caliber, especially back then, you know, and then to know that like our movie could die if he gets that role, you know, um, there, there are a lot of kind of potential heartbreaks. But I, I remember many like, you know, times when we go shoot hoops where I was like telling you. Well, at least we got some good shots and you look yeah. great. So I can cut that yeah. together for you because the movie yeah. probably won't, um, I, you know, I, I think in my mind, it was never an issue of finishing. Like I, I think in my heart, I always felt like somehow we were going to finish the movie. It might take three years, um, but we were going to finish it somehow. I, I don't know. It was like this kind of thing. Maybe it's from sports. Like you have to have irrational confidence, you know? Um, yeah. But I also like I try to balance that with like very pragmatic realism, you know, and things. And I think Sung, you know, we became very good friends very, very quickly. I think part of it is that we can shoot hoops together. So, um, yeah, yeah it, it, I don't oh, I, I remember. Right. You're right. The, yeah. You're right. It's that's not the timeline. The, the basketball tape timeline was after we finished the movie. It was before Sundance and you had to educate me on what Sundance was. You were like, hey, Sung, we submitted to Sundance where, you know, this and this. And I was like, what is all of that? And you were like, well, you know, the movie has to get distribution. And I was totally ignorant. I was like, the world just doesn't go see the movie, right? And you're like, we have to go and sell this and it has to get into something, right? And then that's when you were like, I'll cut something together and give you a tape because there's some cool shots for you guys in case nothing happens to this movie. And then it was during the pager era and it was around Thanksgiving. And I remember I was driving on, uh, on Larchmont and I get a page from you and then I pull over and I call and you were like, we got into Sundance. And I was like, that's great, man. What is that? And you're like, it's the festival. And I go, what do we do there? And you're like, you go and you know, we got to promote the movie. And I was like, for what? And then you had to literally like dissect, like this is a business. And and then we went on that better luck to tomorrow journey. So that was the timeline. So, sorry. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. It, you know, it's, it's, it's crazy. I got to give 
when you talk about investors, you know, obviously I was trying to raise money and I didn't know anybody. And I think the crazy thing about our business is anybody could come in and say they're a producer, you know, and just the kind of absurd meetings that I would go into. And I didn't know any better. Right. Like, and, and I've learned a lot. I learned so much on, on trying to stand your ground and not get pushed around, you know, um, but I mean, I, I have to point out, man, like one of the angels, you know, obviously MC Hammer people like really kind of like um, that's become like lore. Um, but but I, I would say, you know, Jeff and Joan, you know, Gal, like they, they were another like angel, like, you know, talk, the reason why I remember this is because you were saying uh, the cutting together something because we had we had we had canned the movie. And so I was, I was, I remember I was cutting the movie on 36 gigs drive. That was it. It was an old Avid. It was like this tank mm -hmm. that would yeah. take almost half an hour to boot up because you had to do the individual drives. And so I would get up in the morning, I would boot up the drives, turn on the Mac. That was going to take about half an hour to boot up. Then I would go make my oatmeal because I was broke, you know, and then I would eat and I'll finish my breakfast. And then I would start editing the movie, you know? Um, and I was so proud that we, we had finished the movie, but then the editing was going to cost money that we didn't, I, I didn't have, you know? And, and so I had, for some reason, I just had this crazy idea to like cut a trailer and I didn't, it, we couldn't even go on film. It was like cut on Avid and Walt Louis, who's another amazing human being, you know, yeah. he, he is this guy that, that I think on our journey, is always there to kind of support, but never to like, he never asked, you know, he's just there to help. Yeah. And um, man, I, I just remember cutting together this, this trailer that made no sense because the movie was not even finished. And we played it at the DGA uh, in front of the VC film festival. I don't even know why I did that. And that's when Joan saw the trailer mm. and she said, congratulations on the film. And I, Oh, there's a whole story. There's a whole story here mm -hmm. because um, Joan Huang, who I had met at Berkeley, when she was a mm -hmm. student at Berkeley, and it was with Chris Chan Lee and all these guys. We had done these short films and we went to talk to the class and she was just like the student at Berkeley. And I remember she came in and she was like, really wanted to interview us. And some of us, were like, to me, I was just like, wait, you want to interview me? This mm -hmm. is 1997 or something like that. Um, and, but some of the other filmmakers were like, they, I was like, I felt like they were kind of big timing her a little bit. And I, that's, I just thought that was really funny because like, we we're nobodies, you know, like, why, why would you big time anybody? And, and I just, I interviewed with her. I didn't know what I was doing. And that was it. And that was like 97. And then in 2001, I did this crazy trailer that just played just to give the world a sense that we had made a movie, even though the movie wasn't even done. And she saw it and she's like, congratulations on your movie. And I said, Oh, thanks. But like, I hope to finish. And she's like, it's not finished. I said, no, I need to like figure out how to pay for it, you know? And, and then she could, that's how uh, Joan and Jeff came in and really helped us with the finishing fund to finish the movie. Mm. And so like, you know, credit cards can only take you so far, but you know, I think along the way, we just met some amazing people. Uh, I mean, that like that journey of, them coming in to help us finish the movie because of an interview at Berkeley four yeah. years prior. It's yeah. looking back now, like that's insane, but it is one of those things where I think if you, you know, hopefully, you know, any kind of gesture in, in life, you know, uh, it, it ultimately pays, pays off positive or negative, you know? Yeah. Uh, but in that case, yeah. we're very fortunate. Yeah. You remember, and also Reiko Chan, you know, from, the amazing Japanese couple right that they, was through you yeah another and that was yeah, a, she, that, yeah. Wow. right yeah I mean guys that story is we were I mean Justin always was you know sharing like you know the the, the struggles of like you know getting the money to finish this movie and and these investors had pulled out and I was like stressed out or something and I went to work I was working as a waiter and a, and a bartender at this restaurant in Beverly Hills and Reiko and her husband would come in with their clients from Japan because they did 
commercials. They were the production company that did commercials, physical production for like Lexus or Toyota if they wanted to shoot in LA, right? So, and we became friends and she's like the supporter of artists and she saw my like frowny face and she goes, what's up? And I told her, I was like, I don't, you know, there's this movie. I'm, you know, I feel like this is it. This is like, you know, the chance for like real opportunity. And, and, you know, she was, she goes, can I read the script? And then can I meet you? And then we went in and then she wrote us a check, right? Like, like she wrote us a, I'm so glad we're, we, we're doing this guys. And I'm sorry if they're like, we're just talking about Bear Luck tomorrow, but holy shit. You know, I think sometimes, you know, through time, the narrative kind of hardens and it's like, oh, it's a credit card movie, MC Hammer. But there were so many people along the way, you know? And I think Reiko was, it, I still remember, you know, I, I think trying to raise money. One of the things I learned, and this is one of the biggest lessons I would, any young filmmaker, I would say, is that when you believe in something, believe in yourself, right? Bet on yourself. Because there's a lot of people who are trying to strip you away and trying to make you compromise. And you just don't know sometimes, right? Like whether it's, you know, early on people saying, hey, you know, just change all the characters to white and you can, you know, we'll give you a million dollars. And I mean, that sounded like, wait, if all I had to change it, all the characters to white, it, and, and it, it, those are pivotal moments in any kind of journey, right? Um, and one of the things I learned is that, man, growing up, uh, I think being working class and maybe Asian American, you know, I didn't know anything. And, and it's like, you start meeting people and when they think they have leverage, they're going to fuck with you and they're going to fuck with you. Right. I remember meeting, sitting down with these investors and uh, they were, they were, you know, they have fucking, they were going to maybe invest, I think 50 grand or something. And I was so excited. That's so much money. And um, I mean, it was 25 grand, but it, it was like three months. They would just, fuck with me they're like hey can you write an essay on why and i was like writing an essay on why this is a great move fucking like it was they just made me jump through a hoop and then i still remember we met at this coffee house on sunset and i was like okay they're gonna give me the check and they sat down they're like you know yeah we're not gonna we're not gonna invest in a movie and i remember my heart was broken and i i was driving back home on sunset to go on the 101 and I was so hungry, I stopped at that Arby's on Sunset. It's still there. And mm -hmm. it had a payphone. And I remember I grabbed that payphone and I called them and I said, I just fucking lost my shit. And I was like, fuck you guys. I'm going to make this movie. It's going to, you know, blah, blah, blah. I just went off. And then I hung up, got my roast beef sandwich, enjoyed it, <laughs> and then went home. By the time I got home to Beverly Woods, there was a message. They had gotten my message and they called back and they said, no, 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 we want to invest. And that was the first time I, I, I learned the power of, of believing in yourself. Because if you let people push you around, they're going to keep pushing you around. And, um, you know, that's just an example of, of something that turned out, I think, positive at the end. But mm -hmm. for every story like that, there, was, there were so many you know, stories of people just exploiting and pushing you and treating you like shit, you know? And, um, but, but I think through that journey, I slowly was able to learn that, you know what, why am I doing this? Do I want people to treat me like this? You know? And then once I was able to kind of like really earn some self-confidence and respect, you know, we started building our team that changed the energy. And then slowly we started shifting and then it was like, you know, through Sung meeting Reiko, or is it through Joan and Jeff and, you know, MC Ham all this like positivity like happened because I don't know, it was just like, I felt like we were building it and, and we were doing it for our own reason and we weren't going to compromise. And through that energy, we started meeting other people of like mind, you know? And so um, I'm just glad we're able to talk about it because Again, I think sometimes things kind of harden its in its in it, into its own narrative, and I think there are so many angels, uh, you know, on, on on that journey that deserve credit. And I'm I'm glad we're able to at least uh, be able to at least for us to even kind of share some of those stories. You know, I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm, there's yeah. Sp speaking of angels, Justin, though, I mean, we know Hammer, but 
people do not know the hammer story, especially Alex. Like, we, you gotta, you, you gotta tell the, the hammer story. Okay. Like, come on, MC Hammer. Okay. You know, <laughs> come on, come on, it's MC Hammer. Like, you know. Yeah, I did pick that up and think I'm definitely gonna have to ask about that. <laughs> yeah. Well, this this goes back to I was working at this museum. Um, I think it was '98. Um, I was doing a lot of kind of their media installments and documentaries, and this is when um, like digital cameras are starting to come out. And so I decided I was going to go to NAB, which is like this convention in Vegas, you know, and I was going to check it out. And so I drove out there by myself and um, I was checking out. And then back then, there was only like really three cameras. It was like the Canon, uh, a Sony VX1000. And there was like, I forget, there's a third camera. And I was walking around the convention floor. And then there, I remember this guy, I still remember there's like this vendor. He looks over and there's NC Hammer coming and goes, oh, hey, Hammer. And by him doing that, Hammer came over and said, hey, how's it going? And he was the nicest guy. And he goes, hey, do you know anything about these digital video cameras? And I had just looked at them and I said, oh, well, um, I just looked at it, you know, and here's what I thought. And I gave him my opinion. And Hammer was like, oh, that's cool. Like, what do you do? And I said, well, I, I hope to be a filmmaker one day. And he goes, cool. And he gave me his phone number. This is 1998, right? And I'm just like, I was sitting there going, I have MC Hammer's <laughs> phone number. That's all. This is the greatest thing in the world, right? And I just had it with me. That was it. And then Hammer said, call me if you ever want to do it. You know, he was just super friendly. And I knew that that was just a nice gesture. And I, I that's a greatest story probably up to that point of meeting a celebrity and just like positivity, you know? And cut to 2001, and this is like, I know we're jumping all over the place, but there was, this was just me, uh, used up, we used up all our credit card money, all my cash reserve, and even our, our like small investor pot was like, oh no, no, this was not even used up. This is what, when I was doing um, an LLC. So I, when you do an LLC, you have to like have a, um, you know, you have to have a date of fundraising. And if you mm -hmm. don't raise to the minimum, the money all goes back to the investors. And yeah. so I had raised not to the minimum and the date was coming and I was like, holy crap, I have no more money. We can't, I don't know how to get more investors. And if we hit that date, every dollar that I raise, I have to give back. So I was like so stressed out and I'm thinking like, is there like, you know, people? And, and of course, like the, I had no more options. And I, I just remember thinking um I, I i looked at the mc hammer phone i said well i have nothing to lose and this is like three years later i called the number and mc hammer ans answers and and i was like hey I, I you know i don't know if you remember me and he was so friendly and he's like i i know he, he did, i know for sure he didn't remember me but i think as we were talking he was engaged and um he was asking and and i think we all we connected on my passion for the film and uh he ultimately like he was like how much you need and i told him and he wired it to me the next day and it was like the it was like the day of the deadline and it saved everything because if i didn't get that money i was gonna lose every investment dollar technically i had to give it all back and so he saved the project you know and um he never asked for anything it was just like that gesture to me was everything you know um but yeah that that's the mc hammer story i mean that i look back now and it's like holy crap it's, it was three years and just running into him in vegas and talking about digital cameras and um yeah they definitely you know it took it took a lot of a lot of angels for us to even finish that film yeah i mean for the the fans out there, that's why in Tokyo, in Tokyo Drift, there's hammer in the billboards and on the streets, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah that, that was, uh, <laughs> oh, damn. <laughs> yeah, if you watch Tokyo Drift, you know, I think you know, a lot of times when we do these movies, you got to clear everything, you know? And I, I just thought, I want to live in a world where 
MC Hammer is is, is promote you know is endorsing all these products in Tokyo. <laughs> so if you watch closely, he's selling like you know when Han is thrifting with Sean, he's selling yeah. I think like a camera on the billboard, and when on the uh, on the you know subway going up, Sean's going up. You see MC Hammer selling. So we have all these MC Hammer billboards all over Tokyo Drift. So uh, you know that that so was a little awesome. thank you to to him, um, and it was a tribute to 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 just what an amazing person he is yeah and also you can see him in his acting debut and as roy thunder in justin's film that we did right finishing yeah. the yeah, game finishing the game roy thunder amazing. the agent the agent for the color <laughs> yeah <laughs> that was uh that was another phase you know it was like that 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 film was great. It was just you know I think after Berlick Tomorrow, it was actually Berlick Tomorrow, uh, Annapolis, Tokyo Drift. We did this like little another kind of like no budget mockumentary, and it was just about just trying to work with people we love, and we were just gonna have fun. And we were very fortunate. I, I look back now, that, that's kind of like the one project no one really ever talks about anymore. But it was just um, it was just a labor of love. It was just uh, us getting together, wanting to have a good time and, and make something for ourselves. You know, um, it, it, it's funny when you look at finishing the game. I think it was all like looking back now, it's almost therapy for our Bear Like Tomorrow experience being, you know, people of color <laughs> and, yeah. and our journey and, and kind of dealing with with it. So, um, yeah, that was that was a great time. Yeah. I mean, you used the a lot of set stuff from Tokyo Drift on finishing the game i remember i was like oh I'll, I'll tell you i got caught because um <laughs> i didn't know that like you know doing tokyo drift um i don't even know if i should be sharing this like this could be problematic <laughs> but uh, fuck it. statue um, of limitations <laughs> okay yeah 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 fuck it no we were we were so ahead of schedule on tokyo drift because you know i'm used to shooting indie which is like we just go 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 and I've always thought like, um, you know, you get ahead of schedule, you save money. But, but you know, what, as I find out in, in, in studio filmmaking, that's not really always the case. Like you, you, it's a commitment to shoot the schedule that you signed off on, right? But we were so ahead of schedule. Um, I, uh, <laughs> I actually had, I, I, um, I, oh man, Ida, our production <laughs> designer, she, she designed the set and I was going to go shoot finishing the game because I was like, you know, we were so ahead of schedule um, and I got caught, but I had a, I, I, you know. <laughs> like, why is this other set here? And I was like, Oh yeah. You know, um, uh, you know, research. Like, yeah. Research. Um, but, uh, but it was awesome. Like there were a lot of, um, there were a lot of things like the universal was so kind, you know, like the, the duck from the, uh, uh, from our intro and in Tokyo drift, our, credit sequence that we, we made this purple duck this angry duck um that was used in finishing so a lot of a lot of our sets and props were were, were used so it was you know it, it was very nice of them to to just let us go in and, and have fun with uh with a lot of stuff we have yeah yeah i mean that's a that finishing game is a yearbook of the community that helped us from better luck tomorrow to finishing the game you know i mean even where yeah. we shoot most of the stuff it's at the vc you know, the, the, the visual communications building where Linda, you know, Linda Angel that was with us during Better Luck yeah. Tomorrow, you know, it's like- Linda Mabalit, yeah, she, she yeah. it was amazing. I mean, oh God, I look back now, it's like, you know, just the intersection of like nonprofit, I was working at a museum, indie film. It was like, there was so many things happening and it, it, it really helped like having like just the rebels, I think, in, in a lot of these scenes, um, they, they were so instrumental in kind of helping me personally, you know? And it, it is funny talking about finishing the game now. I think, God, I I, I, didn't even, I haven't even thought about it in over how many years, 15 years or something. But I, I think the goal is to always like um, keep our family together. And we're always gonna go make an indie movie uh, whenever we can, you know? And, and God, just doing, just talking to you now. I'm like, God, we should do that soon. You know, the next, the next gap, we should just go and make something. I mean, it, it is crazy thinking back now that if we were going to make Bear Luck tomorrow today, we can make it probably for 
a fifth of the price. You know, the, the budget of the film was $250,000, but I would say like 150000 went to film stock and development, you know? Mm-hmm. And nowadays, you know, we can shoot digital. You know, I think yeah. a film like Berlick Tomorrow could be made for 50, 60 grand now, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. So... Yeah, we should do that. Let's let's uh, next next opening we have. Let's go do a little indie movie. Just get gang yeah. back together. I know. I mean, finishing the game, you guys, you guys got to see it because, I mean, people don't talk about it, but I, it's it's one of those films that I think in our legacy when we're older and when we've passed away, they'll go, they'll see the layers, you know, like they'll realize that we're actually funny. You know, because with the fast stuff, <laughs> you know, like it's very hyper masculine and they realize after changing the game, and maybe that's what it is. I don't think they want people, to, us to be goofy. You know what I mean? Like, but that is a, you know, that's, that's a, just a fun, fun movie. So I think that's, to me, that's the movie that represents what the vibe of who we are, you know, offset is on screen, you know? So, I mean, Han is great, but you know, I don't live like like that in real life, you know, just on Saturdays, right? But you, know, <laughs> you don't. Um, <laughs> but, yeah. So. That is it for part one. Part two is next with exclusive details on the upcoming Fast and Furious 9. See you there. <laughs>